Welcome to Arc Next Sessions, episode 78. I'm Paul, and I'm here with my co-host, Donna. Amelia and Ken are not able to make it this week, so joining us in their place is Stephen Ward, a name that many Archonnectors will recognize, including those that have been around for quite a while. Stephen is an architect in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a partner at Studio Creamer Architects and has taught at the University of Kentucky College of Design and has also been a local architecture writer for the Leo Weekly. Stephen, it's great to have you on the show. I feel like it's uh, long overdue. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. And Stephen and uh, Donna, you guys uh, know each other in the real world, too, outside of... Uh, Arconnect, don't you? That's right. We actually met through Arconnect back when I had my own business and Donna was working on her own. And uh, I think we just got to know each other through Arconnect Forum, but then I ended up getting her to help teach at the Governor's School for the Arts here in Kentucky. And so I taught, Stephen and I taught together for a couple of years at, at the Governor's School in Kentucky. And then he moved on and I met some other people and taught with them. And uh, it's been sort of a um, a neat Kentucky tradition of, of young students in high school then going into UK or going to other architecture schools. I have a former student from Kentucky who's now in uh, at SciArc, in fact. And yeah, they're, they're scattered all over. But, it, you know, the architecture community is a small one. Stephen, you were the first person I reached out to privately on Arconnect, and it was around the birth of your first child. Do you remember that? That's right. I remember. I do. So how old is she? She's 11. She wow. just started middle school. So we've been friends for 11 years, all thanks to Arconnect. <laughs> I love it. That's so awesome. Yeah, I think Arconnect is actually known about a lot of things that went on with me. I used to uh, keep everybody up to date on Derby every year. Yeah. And when we moved out of our house for a while, I had a thread going, describing, renovating our house for several mm -hmm. months. And then when you closed your own firm and moved into employment and then later into partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Arconnect's a part of our lives. It all started out because I was looking for a place to ask architects where I buy a good printer and uh, how do I start to function in my own, <laughs> on my own. Wow. That's how it all starts. Just looking for a printer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've always been relieved to see Stephen, your name or Donna's name pop up in a uh, discussion thread that's going out of control because you always bring this kind of uh, rational, calming attitude towards the discussion. So it's uh, very much appreciated. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate it. Maybe I don't know if it comes from teaching or what it would come from. Oh, Stephen, you I mean, you're just a you have a calm demeanor anyway. And when you're feeling calm, it calms me. So yeah, I think we we both sort of try to keep things rational. And when you're not around as much, I get a little crazier. So it's nice to have you around. Maybe it's just uh, the water out there. Maybe. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Stephen, tell us a little bit about Louisville. Was my introduction um, accurate? It's all accurate. I've been here now at Studio Creamer since 2005. And uh, Louisville is a, a great city. I moved here in 1994 and was immediately able to engage with all kinds of arts organizations and uh, things that I was interested in. Uh, it's a very welcoming city in that way. And the uh, the work that happens here is probably not too different from other mid-sized cities. We get some exciting work by both local architects and also architects from out of town every so often, and they're celebrated in a, in a big way. And part of what we'll talk about is one of those projects that's been celebrated recently. But just being a local architect here, we've, uh, we've been able to get into work that's uh, both public work and commercial work that's getting more exciting all the time as we grow and get more known. We're involved in a public library project right now and several projects for our Metro Park system. 
So yeah, there's a lot going on here. Everybody seems to be very busy to the point that we can't find anybody to hire. So well, we can help you with that. <laughs> That's right. Our Connect job board. So your work is is mostly within Kentucky. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, mostly within in the Louisville area and in the surrounding counties. We do a lot of public schools, so uh, we work for school districts around. But we have gone into Southern Indiana a little bit, but not a whole lot. We do have registration among the staff here in the office uh, in six states. So we reach out every so often, but not all that often. So what's the architecture scene like in uh, Louisville? Oh, there's not a whole lot of a scene. Yeah. I feel like we used to be a lot more engaged in that uh, architects would come out for every building tour that happened. And uh, we sort of were all a whole lot more connected. But there was a fairly big turnout at a recent tour. Um, the local office, uh, Delayan and Primer, did a project for a local history museum research facility called the Filson Club, and a lot of people came out for that one. So we, it's primarily building tours. Um, anytime that somebody gets to peek inside a new project that's opened, everybody turns out. One of the projects, and I, I don't know if we want to just venture into the conversation about the Speed Museum, but one of the projects that's been a big splash lately was the uh, expansion of our local museum, uh, our sort of encyclopedic museum, the Speed and the Expansion was done by Y Architects out of L.A. with a local firm here, K. Norman Berry Associates. Yeah, yeah. You wrote about that project back in April. I, I've noticed lately it's been getting a bump in, in exposure, I think, uh, thanks to Facebook. Right. I mean, that was that was the first piece that you wrote for uh, the Leo Weekly, right? That's right. And the new managing editor at Leo reached out to me. Partly because the speed was making a big splash, but partly because he has a background and education in architecture. And he reached out and said, we really need to foster a greater design conversation in the city and about the city, uh, about things that are going on. And since he had that new position at Leo, he could sort of make that happen. So he asked me if I would if I would write something. And we determined that the speed, because it was uh, of note, uh, would be the first one. And I really approached it as a local architect. It wasn't something where I felt like we needed to do a whole lot of critique. It's a prize for the city in a lot of ways. There's not, it, it didn't need to be a hit piece. It just really needed to contextualize the project, both for people in the city, but also, you know, how it connected to a larger design conversation outside the city. So that's how we that's how we talked about it, and that's how I tried to approach the article. I think you really succeeded in that. I mean, when I read this article, I feel like there's something there for experienced and knowledgeable architects like myself, as well as sort of, as you said, trying to make it accessible and explain to people who don't have a background in architecture. Obviously, one of my favorite bits of it was where you talked about the concrete, which the concrete, you can talk a little bit more about wise attitude towards concrete, I think, but that you also discussed that as it ages, it will become more beautiful and it has a patina. I think that's the kind of sort of romantic notions about architecture materials that a lot of non-architects don't understand. And it, once you explain it to them, they sort of, the light goes on in their eyes and they say, oh, I, yeah, I see what you mean. So can you talk a little bit about the concrete? 
Sure. From the time why I was hired for the project, I was excited to see the concrete because uh, Kulapat Yantrasas, who is the lead architect for Y, came out of Tadao Ando's office. And I had been to the Pulitzer Foundation and it was an amazing experience. I couldn't keep my hands off the concrete at the Pulitzer. Mm-hmm. It's so rich and warm and it's just beautiful. So yeah, I was waiting for it. I knew it was going to be a important thing for me to experience. And and sure enough, it's uh, it's really outstanding and beautiful. And I wanted to keep touching it everywhere we went. And so the point I made about it in the article is that uh, and because a lot of people feel like they don't want to experience concrete and that concrete is too harsh, I wanted to talk about that tactile experience. And I talked about it as a real material that is different in character and attitude than drywall and vinyl and things that people think are maintenance-free. And, and that's where I did talk about the weathering of it and how it will how it will gain a richness. So yeah, that was that was a big part of my experience. I went opening weekend and my family just watched me rub my hands on concrete. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's an art museum. You're not supposed to touch things. But then for the architecture geeks among us, and I remember you from when this project was first announced and why was announced as the architects of it. And when you found out that your friend Christopher was going to be working as the local architect, that you were really excited about the concrete spec. <laughs> right. As architects, that's where we, yeah, the, for the geeks among us. Right. And I talked about that in the article too, because I told him when uh, when they got the job that I, you know, somehow I wanted to be able to get a concrete spec out of this whole thing. But what, what we learned, what he learned and what he shared with me was uh, that really there wasn't a spec that resulted in that concrete in a clear way. Obviously, there was a spec, but the whole project was done via a benchmarking process where they did on-site, cast-in-place samples, multiple samples, and they they picked which one they liked out of a whole range of samples. And the contractor's responsibility was to, to hit that mark all through the whole project. So obviously, it's a level of quality control that most of us don't get to see very often in a project. And that was true, not just of the concrete. They had the glass panels that they used were fabricated in Mexico and had a very tight quality control and a very long lead time. One of them was broken during construction and they had to wait for a new one to be fabricated. So there's, you know, it's it's a different kind of process when it's that level of bespoke project. And so Stephen, the, the museum opened in spring, in April? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, I think it may have been the end of March, but yes, it's been open now for a little while. And what has the public reception been in Louisville? Oh, absolutely positive. I haven't heard oh, any, I mean, all the all the things that you expect you might hear about uh, a modern building have not been the case here. It's, it's so well done and so nicely detailed. And one of the things that I also had to write about is that it's so, in some cases, it's very dominant. It's a very large addition. So from some perspectives, the addition is very dominant, but the form of it, the stacked boxes aspect of the project uh, allows it to sort of give way as you walk around the building so that the original speed building uh, that was done by a local architect, Arthur Loomis, really still keeps its place as the heart of the the museum. I mean, it's, it's definitely recognizable that everything is in deference a little bit to the original building. So yeah, it's respectful, but bold at the same time. So Stephen, I mean, writing for the Leo Weekly, you're obviously targeting 
these pieces to a mostly non-architecture community in a city that isn't at the same scale as, you know, like New York, Los Angeles. What do you feel like your responsibility is as, as an architect that's, that's uh, critiquing these local pieces? Well, the, the editor and I have talked about that some. One is it does have to be uh, approachable and understandable. It has to be in non-jargon language. A lot of times I start almost with a narrative, uh, as if I'm telling a story. In fact, the whole Speed article started as a story of my visit, ended up being, you know, 2,000 plus words, I think. It was a huge, long piece. And in the editing process, we actually edited out almost all of the visit just to leave what the commentary was. So so it starts, it's, for me, it's easiest to start with a story, to start it as a narrative, because that, I think, allows me to get at the things that non-architects are going to be interested in. I've done two other pieces. I'm working on some ideas for some more right now. The second piece was about the transportation plan that Louisville Metro has uh, rolled out. It's sort of a comprehensive transportation plan to address, you know, car traffic, transit, pedestrian, bicycling, uh, sort of looking at all of that in a comprehensive way. And in that case, it was a very specific timing. It was out for public comment. And we wanted to make sure that people paid attention to it, knew what it was there for and what it was about, and that we somehow connected with them enough that that maybe the, the comments would roll in and the city would hear a whole lot more about what people's expectations for transportation were. So, you know, in that way, that one was specifically about engaging a dialogue, getting some feedback for the city. And then the third piece, we had heard that there had been some controversy about an apartment project uh, by an out-of-town developer along one of our historic neighborhood corridors. Uh, Some people loved it, some people hated it. And what I wrote about there was that the things that people either loved or hated, there were probably very specific reasons for all those things. And a a lot of those had to do more with sort of a developer's business model than anything specifically for somebody to love or hate. You know, they had to do with how much money you have to work with for each unit after you deal with marketing and infrastructure costs and all those kind of sorts of things. So I, again, it's, it's, a lot of the time it's about contextualizing a project for people. So Stephen, as I'm living in Indianapolis, obviously, and um, in fact, the firm that did that project that you're talking about, the apartment project you're talking about is based in Indianapolis. And one of the things we are talking about here as the AIA is how to sort of increase the level of design conversation in the city. I have felt after traveling to Louisville over the years that there is a higher level of design conversation there. I kind of think it's because there's geographically, Louisville's a very interesting city. It's right on a big river at some falls. You know, there's there's more sort of interesting landscape there that you can respond to with your architecture. You have the park system that was laid out by Olmsted, correct? That's right, yep. That's right. And so, and then there's this great firm, Dillion Primer, who is becoming now very nationally known. And I think of them as sort of a um, Blackwell, Marlon Blackwell type, Rick George type, you know, they're, they're doing a sort of critical regionalism, modernism, you could say. That's right. Yeah. They're very interested in what they can pull from the region. Yeah. So how do you go about doing that? How do you go about getting the level of design discussion to be something that people in the community will talk about beyond the, you know, you're writing articles and hopefully people will comment on them. Yeah. What, what other kind of ideas do you have about that? And is Louisville in particular, do you think more capable of a higher level design discussion than many cities are? I don't know if we are. I, I hope that we can be. I know there are a few other people in town who have 
been writing and reaching out and trying to um, trying to build a design conversation. I know Donna, you're familiar with Broken Sidewalk with uh, Brandon Clayco. I love Broken Clayco. Sidewalk. Yeah, and he really was part of the a vanguard of discussion, uh, and he's gotten quite an audience. It's more of a an audience that's already bought in. You know, the the people right. I think that are right. in his in the conversation and follow uh, the Broken Sidewalk are have chosen to follow Broken Sidewalk. Uh, so it's a little less broad an audience than Leo can reach, and that was I think part of our goal with Leo is that uh, everybody gets it when they're trying to figure out where to go on Friday night, uh, and they might happened to flip to this article about uh, an apartment building. So, you know, finding the outlets that are going to reach people is part of it. The The city actually does a pretty good job. In fact, uh, just this week, I went to a public hearing on a building that is vacant, or not quite vacant, almost vacant in one of our historic neighborhoods that uh, a lot of people were worried it was slated to be torn down. And the city invited people to a discussion about what, what should we do with this this place? If if the neighborhoods around here value it, uh, what are your ideas? How, how should we treat it? What should we look for? So the city themselves, uh, you know, metro government tries to foster a conversation. That's excellent. Yeah. So the other thought I had was that maybe this level of conversation started up back when the museum plaza tower was proposed. Like that got people's attention. Do you want to talk about that? That definitely got people's attention. I don't think it was the first, although it was a big one, because we got, uh, you know, that project got us into the New York Times. You know, it was covered more broadly. So this was the Museum Plaza proposal by OMA at that point? It was first OMA, and then it ended up being a project that uh, Rex was working on. Rex sort of peeled off of OMA just about that time, and it ended up being their project. It actually started construction, but it was right at the beginning of the recession, and something happened where they were, there was a stop work because of some additional engineering they needed to do, um, was my understanding. And once they stopped work, and then with the economic conditions, they were really never able to get it going again. And it, it won't be built at this point. So it got a lot of recognition, though. And, and yes, it definitely connected to a design conversation all over the place, you know, beyond Louisville. But Louisville people were very interested in it. But we had that conversation going some even before that, because the same clients that were that did Museum Plaza, that were pursuing Museum Plaza, had done the uh, 21C Hotel Museum which is in downtown Louisville and uh, was sort of the first of a series. Now they have them in Bartlesville and Durham and Lexington. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. We're getting one here in Indianapolis shortly. All of those were with uh, Deborah Burke Architects. And people have been very receptive to the 21C Museum. The, before that, the, the Humana Building actually probably engaged a design conversation more than anything. It was huge for the city, and it really was a an anchor piece in the the renovation of our downtown. The Humana Building was uh, part of a competition that was done in 1984. I think the building was finished maybe in 86. It's Michael Graves' building and. Other people in the competition included Foster and Rogers and Pelly. So it was a big conversation, a big competition. There was a Rizzoli book published about the competition. The models are still at the Humana building where people could go see them. I think that project made people as aware of architecture as almost anything else. We've got buildings by Mies and Harry Weiss and a variety of, of people from outside of Louisville, but then we've also got our own 
crop of, of things by local architects who are really beloved. Uh, Jasper Ward, no relation to me, is <laughs> a very well-known architect in the area, and people really revere his buildings here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, De Leon and uh, Primer architecture workshop. Mm-hmm. I remember we, we featured their uh, Mason Lane farm operations facility a few years ago yeah. in Arconact. It's a beautiful, beautiful project. But speaking of uh, outside architects and OMA in particular, um, there was uh, there was news last year of a, um, a food hub for West Louisville uh, by OMA and the local architects, GBBN. Do you know what, what the status on that is? Yeah, the food port, they were calling it. It was meant to be a sort of a centerpiece for food economy-related businesses. It was gonna, going to include a series of like farm-to-table or farm-to-market sorts of, of shops and equipment. And uh, there was a fairly large biodigester facility that was part of the project. And it was there's been a lot of conversation in the region about developing a food economy. And it's it's been a long-term conversation. And the food port was sort of an attempt to coalesce a lot of those conversations into one place that could sort of be the focus for generating interest in a food economy and helping a part of the city that has limited economic opportunities. So it would be sort of a place that people could get jobs and be part of this larger conversation that's really region-wide. And that project, it was uh, OMA involved in it and partnered with GBBN, who have a, a Louisville office. So that's been in the works for I'm going to say probably a year or more, uh, there was discussion of it starting having its groundbreaking even before the end of this year. And a couple of things happened. The biodigester aspect of the project, because it's a fairly populated urban neighborhood, was fairly controversial. And the neighborhood did some research and learned that there they didn't know that it was bad to have a biodigester in the neighborhood, but they also couldn't tell, couldn't find any evidence that it was okay to have that kind of facility in the neighborhood. And they didn't, obviously in, in an area where there's limited economic opportunity, they didn't want to accept a problem, you know, to sort of make things worse for anybody by bringing a negative activity into the area. So ultimately the biodigester facility was removed from the project. So that was the first big hit. And then just last week or a week before, one of the major tenants, really the anchor tenant that was that was left in, in the project, was uh, that they pulled out of the project. And at that point, I think they probably could have jostled around and found some solutions to still make the project viable, but it wouldn't have had the impact and the weight maybe that it that they felt like it needed to have. So they have pulled the plug on the project. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's a big impact. It's a, it's about a 30 acre site in the middle, sort of at the, at the joint between three tight urban neighborhoods. So it's, it's a pretty critical part of the city. It's, uh, it's been looking for a job for a while. It was a uh, tobacco plant historically, and all of the old tobacco industrial buildings, uh, those have all been torn down. So it is an open 30-acre site right now that's looking for a job. Well, OMA will come back to Louisville one more time, and it'll be third (laughs) time's the charm, right? Third time's the charm, that project will go. So whatever it is they come up with next, we can expect to see built. (laughs) Right. 
So we hope that's true. I hope so too. It's Louisville is such a cool city. I just love it. I love going there. So any of our listeners that are, you know, could take a long weekend type visit to Louisville, I highly recommend it. It's just a great yeah. city. It's so cool. Look me up. We'll have a bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> There's Sold. lots of bourbon there. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Stephen, it was so great to finally connect your voice to your name and uh, get you on the show. I hope we can have you back sometime soon to talk about other topics. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, thanks thanks to everyone else out there for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, Arc Sessions, or with hashtag Arconnect Sessions. You can also send us an email to connect at arconnect.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Talk to you next week.